This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Luzerne County Corrections Officer is now accused of helping an inmate carry out a murder and then leaving the victim to die. And now they're both in prison. WBRE 28, WYOU 22, Eyewitness News reporter Caroline Forback is live in Kingston Township with the story. Caroline? Nick, Candace, investigators tell us a corrections officer and an inmate were arrested in connection to the death of an inmate at SCI Dallas in January. They were arraigned here earlier today. Edgar Gearhart was found dead in a prison cell in January. Wednesday, Osmel Martinez, a corrections officer from Kingston, and Nafis Pierce, an inmate, were arrested for their involvement in Gearhart's death. According to police, Pierce and Gearhart were fighting over phone use. Pierce told Martinez he was going to attack Gearhart, and Martinez said to do it in the cell. Pierce was then seen stabbing Gearhart with a prison shank in the cell. Pierce told Martinez what he did, and they laughed about it. When Gearhart needed medical attention, Martinez said, let the next shift deal with it. Now, America's prisons are overflowing, but many who are kept behind bars are just children. Thousands of youths are tried as adults in the U.S. every year, and some are given life sentences in the country's harshest jails. Many then find themselves becoming victims of sexual violence and suicide. Authorities in western Pennsylvania have charged 11-year-old Jordan Brown as an adult. The boys will have one trial together in adult court. The length of his sentence is also the length of his life. They're not old enough to drive, drink, or vote, but in America, kids as young as seven years old can be tried as adults. Our mission at Death by Incarceration is to shed light on a system that viciously targets marginalized people. The United States is quickly moving back to the crime and punishment model that made us the most incarcerated country in the world. We feel our message and show are more important than ever. This country has a human rights crisis. It's not about politics, it's about what our moral obligations are to our fellow citizens and how we treat other human beings. In the words of the great Bell Hooks, for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? During our first season, we realized that most of our conversations revolved around men, virtually ignoring the impact mass incarceration has on women and girls. Suave and I have interviewed over 20 women for our next series of episodes. We have some amazing stories to share and are proud of the work we've done to prepare for the next phase of our show. Over the past quarter century, there has been a profound change in the involvement of women within the criminal justice system. This is the result of more expansive law enforcement efforts stiffer drug sentencing laws, and post-conviction barriers to re-entry that uniquely affect women. The female incarcerated population stands over seven times higher than it did in 1980. More than 60% of women in state prisons have a child under the age of 18. In this week's episode, we interview Rashida Bagwell, a former correctional officer in the state of Pennsylvania. We asked this question this week. With over two years of COVID and no visitation, 
Why is there still drugs in the prisons? The only people coming in are staff and vendors. Ask yourself this question and ask your local reps why. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Rashida Bagwell. Just a little background on myself. Mom, hustler, author, truth teller, exposer of all things fraudulent. <laughs> and, um, uh, I used to be a corrections officer and then I went to the other side of the law and I was convicted of three drug felonies. And I'm just here to tell my story today and nothing's off the table. I just don't mention names of people that I'm still you know, in communication with that are behind the wall. Suave and Kevin already know that, but everything else, nothing's off the table. And we respect that, that there's nothing off the table because we do have some questions that might be uncomfortable for a few people, but we want to make sure that you feel as comfortable as possible. So as a correctional officer, tell us, walk this, you know, on your first day on the job and what made you decide to go to the other side of the law? Well, I always was at one side, one foot on the opposite side. I always kept a good job, but the hustler in me always made me want more. So when I saw opportunity, I would take it. So when I went into prison, I didn't see it as any different. It would just be on a different scale. I would have to be a little more careful, observant, and just be a little bit more strategic because it's just like the streets, but it's just more eyes. That's all it is. So, so when you, be, you become a congressional officer, what inspired you to become a congressional officer? A check. It wasn't like something I wanted to do like as a lifelong career. I didn't plan to go in there and retire from the job. So you went in there for a check. Yes. And so you go in there, you go through the training, you go in there, you check your layout, and what's what's running through your mind? Well, I checked my layout before the training. I checked the layout and uh, orientation. <laughs> like when they did the, the tour where they walk you through, I was looking and I'm like, wow, this big as shit in here. And I know that for every block to have 400 or more people on it, it's gotta be some shit come, you know, I know it's shit coming through here. So I need to know who and how do I get in with them? So that was my mindset, like day one. So from day one, you knew what you was gonna do. So you get the job, you go through the training, it's time to report for duty. You know, how did that work for you? It worked out really well because like I said, I'm from the streets. So my attitude was just like jump in. I know how to deal with people. I've always been the female that was cool with all the guys. So it was really comfortable for me in there. It wasn't an uncomfortable situation. Again, it was just like being in the streets or, you know, being in your hood, just on a larger scale. So I just went in there as who I am. The only difference was I was in a uniform, but I was still me. So the same way they were observing me and trying to figure out how they could play me, I was observing them and figuring out I could get them to do what I needed them to do. So you let you you lay it out. You got a plan. How did you select it, the prisoner, or however you want to call him, the to be that guy that you say, you know what, you gonna be my runner. You gonna be the guy that I bring the package to. You gonna move this shit for me. How did you came up with that conclusion? Well, um, myself and the person we found each other because we found each other, which I'll get into in a minute. But my initial idea was, I'm like, I know I'm going to get to work every block within that year because you're on probation for 365 days. 
So you work every part of the prison. So what I would do was if I was on A block, I'm going to figure out who who's who over here. B, C, D, and on from there. So I found out who everybody was. I didn't really spend too much time with the young guys or the guys that didn't have any time in because if you didn't have any time in, anybody that's been locked up before they know you don't have any pull. So I want nothing to do with you. I can't deal with you. Like you can get a little quick conversation, but you're not on what I'm on. So I talked to the old timers, the lifers. Like I'm talking guys with 10, 15 and more. That was who I aligned myself with. Whole County, three correctional officers were arrested for smuggling cash into the Avon Park facility. Officer Jules Loya, Nathan Lucy, and Victor Medina were investigated by the Polk County Sheriff's Office and the DOC. Undercover Polk County Sheriff's Office detectives posed as relatives of inmates, requesting the officers to bring in money and other contraband into the prison to their relatives in jail and promising to compensate them. After a thorough investigation, the officers were arrested on Wednesday and booked into the Polk County Jail. Who can smuggle things in the easiest? Corrections officers. So what happens is the inmates recognize the corrections officers that can and will be crooked. And that's what they found with Loya, Lucy, and Medina. So that I could know eventually the information is going to come to you because in prison, guys, dudes like to break. They like to brag about what other dudes are doing. So I knew it was only a matter of time before I was going to be able to see who was who on each block. And then I would decide from there who I was going to work with, so to speak. So you meet Mr. Magic, uh, <laughs> you know, you meet Mr. Magic, and uh, <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's, it's on and popping. You know, was you did you ever thought like, damn, what if I get caught? You know, because let's keep it real. You, you was having a relationship with this person. Yes. And, and you know, and for the audience, what did that relation entail? Did, 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 was sex involved? Or was it just something that he thought he was in a relationship with you? Was it real love? Was it just, you know, something that we both benefiting from this? You know, because I think that the people got it twisted out here. You know, people don't believe that this kind of stuff go on in the correctional facility. That's why I give respect for having the courage to even speaking about it. You know, so what do a relationship between a prisoner and a correctional officer look like? I want to say the same way you have a relationship with both people were in the free world, but in a way it's kind of different and it was a lot better because honestly, he did more for me than what a lot of these dudes are doing for women that's on the street these dudes that's on the street like and that's just keeping it a bean i have to give credit where it's due like my bills were being paid my rent was being paid i had help taking care of my three children it, i didn't need or want for anything because let's be honest for a minute that paycheck that i was getting people think that it's all this money it's okay money but when i when you have bills and rent and kids and you gotta buy food and sneakers and clothes it's just barely scratching the surface so he was my second income. So we were in an actual relationship. I mean, we ate together. We talked on the phone every day before I went to, came into work. My days off, we would talk on the phone sometimes 13, 14 times a day. Mm. He had to run so, to the phone. So, so let, me, let me cut through the chase. Let me cut through the chase and just give you the, what, what our audience would to know. Was there sex involved? What's the statute of limitations on that? <laughs> <laughs> they cannot charge you. 
Tessa with you your know, smile. Yes, you, it was. Yes, you know, like like <laughs> if I if I were to ask you, you don't have to answer. How many times huh. a week was you having sex sexual relationship with this guy? <laughs> Out of my six day work week, because you know you work six days on for like three weeks before you get right. two days off. Four. Why? How many days a week was you bringing in that package for the? It depended on that week, because I had to like, I had to fill it out. You know what I mean? Like, it depends on who was going to be working that day. It would depend on. Sometimes I just would have a gut feeling that would just tell me like, no, not today. Wait till tomorrow or something like. So it just depends. It wasn't like I was on like a a, a cookie cutter cycle like every Tuesday, every Wednesday. Sometimes it could be two or three times in one week. Sometimes I might skip a week. Like, no, I'm not, I'm chilling. I'm not doing nothing. And that week I may not bring anything in, but I still on the outside pick up or get money, collect money. So it was always me working. I was always doing something. A corrections officer was arrested for smuggling drugs into the Parnell Correctional Facility in Jackson. The Michigan State Police Jackson Post arrested 46-year-old Thomas Doherty on Monday after a police investigation and a search warrant was conducted at Doherty's home. State police detectives were contacted by Michigan Department of Corrections internal investigators on December 17th, according to police. Doherty is charged with furnishing contraband to a prisoner in prison. That charge is punishable by up to five years in prison. Is it fair to say that when you first got the job, you got it for a paycheck, but when you went into the correctional facilities, the inside of a correctional facility, and you saw what was going on, did something change your mind that you was like, you know what, I can't do this shit to these brothers, or you probably knew half of the brothers from the neighborhood or from the block. So what made you, you know, change your mind? Because it's interesting to know, like, you just don't wake up one day and say, I want to become a correctional officer. There's something that, that we all say, like, I think I could contribute to that profession. But what made you look at that profession and say, this shit is not for me. I'm gonna come here and hustle and I'm gonna get the fuck out. Um, I kind of felt like that going in already because I visited that prison, that particular prison for years. So I knew how it worked as being a loved one. When I got in there as a staff member and I was seeing how like the inhumane conditions, the disrespect towards the inmates, and I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about from white officers, black officers, male, female, it was just like, that's just not me. I'm like, I'm I'm not with this shit. So my mindset was fuck all of them. I'm going to do what I want to do and get what I want to get. And anybody in here that's living here that I can help get some money, or help do whatever it is that they need to do, I'm gonna help them do it. So like, yeah, I broke the rules a lot. Every day I did. Hey, Kevin, jump in, Kevin, because I see you shaking your head. Well, I mean, I think it's one thing, you know, that you're doing it, but I mean, I'm sure you had knowledge of other uh, COs and staff members that were dirty in there as well. And I, I think what I would like people to understand is this isn't just like a kind of a one person, you got caught, so you're the only one in there. I mean, we're seeing article, news headline, you know, comment after comment about COs in the Department of Corrections in the state of Pennsylvania getting busted for bringing dope in, including Suboxone, which you were bringing in, right. and, and and other and other uh, other contraband, uh, cell phones, you know, um, I mean, pretty much anything you can get in, right? And, and right. so 
I just want to make sure that people understand this wasn't just a, you know, a Rashad, Rashad issue. This was like, there's like tons of CEOs out there that are involved in this because the pay's shitty and, you know, the treatment by, by management in, in those places, you know, and I'm not saying you were a victim to anything. You went in there knowing what you were going to do. Right. However, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the conditions that, that allow this to happen because it's not, it's not just you, you know, Rashida is not the only one in the world that's doing this. Obviously, you just happen to get caught. Yeah, I, I'm just say this. Like right now, it's 2:44, so a shift just started. I'm just gonna say throw it out there, SCI Phoenix. A shift just started at two o'clock. I would bet my savings, everything that I had, that it's at least three officers <laughs> that walked in there today with a package mm-hmm. <laughs> or a cell phone. Like it, it's going on right now as we speak. Like it's happening. I know people that are still in relationships with inmates, and I, I'm staff. I mean, I know females I mean, that are beefing with each other, like they hate each other's guts. And I'm talking sergeants, CEOs with 15 years in over inmates. So it wasn't just a Rashida thing. Like I was, I was new to it. And then when I found out how prevalent it was like how much it was going on I got more comfortable with it because I'm like oh shit well everybody's doing it it was kind of one of them things like yeah we know but we can't do anything to you unless that particular inmate you know says that this is what's going on what can they do about it yeah I mean so let me ask you this straight up do you think that your situation was motivated by racial tension between white guards and Hispanic guard especially his one hispanic lieutenant well absolutely yes because what it is sexual tension racial tension all of the above like staff coming at you just as hard as the inmates when you're a female working in there like basically um me a blowjob or you you holler at me and meet me in the bathroom or whatever and i'll get you a permanent post and put you here and i'll make sure you slip for your days off get approved and all of that but then when you don't bite and you don't want to deal with the white shirts and the other gray shirts and they see you being more friendly with the guys in the browns then it's a problem and that's what it was with me you couldn't have paid me to deal with anybody that was staffing there y'all are cops to me and i know that sounds crazy because i wore the uniform but my mindset was never like theirs. Like they're, they they really came in here as like they were police officers. Have you ever heard uh, 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 a Caucasian officer use the N word? Absolutely, absolutely. I've had them towards guards. I've had them use, heard them use it towards guards and towards inmates, and forget that I was sitting there or standing there, and then look at me and say, "Oh, Bagwell, not you." And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, when you say the N-word towards anybody with brown skin, you offend everybody. You know what I mean? So it's like, what do you mean, not me? Yeah, like, absolutely. Mm. That word so, is like, it's nothing. So just so our public would know, how did you get caught? Somebody else think, got caught and shit rolls downhill. Yeah, um, because because in your case, they did DNA testing. Yes, they bought forensic. How, 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 just so the people would know out there how deep these people will go when they really want you or when they really want to cast the blame on somebody and take it away from themselves. How did that work? How how did that DNA process work? Um, the DNA process was, um, it was it was vaginal secretions that was on the package because I bought the package in a Magnum condom, that particular package that day. 
the Suboxone strips were wrapped also in a condom, like in the plastic, put together and wrapped in the plastic. And I inserted it inside myself in my private area. So when I passed it off to my people, and then he passed it off to the other person, they got caught trying to get back on the block with it, doing a pat down, which I'm sure you're familiar with. You got to go through the metal detector. Officer facing some serious charges tonight after an undercover operation ended with his arrest in Hialeah Gardens. Officials say he tried to arrange to have someone murdered. NBC6's Laura Rodriguez joins us live from Hialeah Gardens where the alleged transaction all went down. Laura. Well, Trina, investigators were tipped off by a confidential informant, presumably an inmate inside the jail. And the arrest report shows this corrections officer met with an undercover officer here two times at this parking lot near Okeechobee Road and Hialeah Gardens Boulevard. Required that he be held, held with no bonds. Corrections officer Jose Alcazar faced a judge Tuesday afternoon. He's accused of bringing contraband into a Palm Beach County jail. While acting as a prison guard, he was moving um, cell, the, the uh, SIM cards for a cell phone into the jail. Alcazar is also accused of trying to arrange a hit on a man. He also requests that the undercover officer murder the husband of his current girlfriend. An arrest report shows investigators were tipped off by a confidential informant at the jail. The informant, who appears to be an inmate, told detectives Alcazar drove from Palm Beach to Miami on the weekends to pick up narcotics and other contraband items. And then yeah, by the way, by the way to the public, by the way to the public, Rashida oh, Bagwell pat me down like 35 times. In my time. <laughs> it did not happen 35 times. <laughs> and, and, and you know, and, and I was cool with that because See, people don't understand that. Because you knew what? You knew if I patted you and I found something, you was good. Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> Not only that, you know, I was like, shit, I need a female to pat me down today. So I just want to stand in front of you. I'll keep it 100. Just keep it one thing. You know, but at the game, continue. Yeah, so we got the, the, the person that had it, one of my co-defendants, he tried to get back on his unit with it. They tried to give do a pat down and he ran. So when he ran, he made it to the auditorium door and he managed to open the door and throw the package inside. I happened to be working in the auditorium that night. I know it was yeah. ice cream night. Yeah, it was ice cream night. I'll never forget it. So it was about 600 guys maybe in the auditorium, me and one other officer, a female officer. Um, He threw the package in. As soon as it hit the floor and I saw it, I knew it was mine. I had just passed it off an hour before. I didn't pick it up because my mindset was let one of the guys get it. We take a loss. I just don't want security to get it. Once security gets it now, here comes the investigation. I left it on the floor. I pretended I didn't see him drop it. The officer that I was working with, she decided she wanted to do her job. <laughs> she picked it up. She turned it in. And the investigation started from there, but I wasn't actually questioning until two months later. And how much time do you serve? I actually took a deal for nine years, I mean, for two years, and they got cut down with good time. So I walked out of there in less than that, but I just walked off and completed 32 months of state parole and probation. I finished August 15. Uh, congratulations. Kevin, Thanks. jump in. I see you shaking your head. Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, that so the, the amount of like, corruption and just you know head turning at the minimum 
bringing stuff in and being a participant, active participant in, you know, basically street life in the prison is it's not unbelievable because I I've seen it, but it's it's just amazing, and I think there's a lot of people who are going to be shocked at, at hearing these stories, and you know one of the things I know from talking to you before is, you know I mean, you're you're you know you're okay with who you are. I mean that that's the most amazing thing to me is Absolutely. like you've gone through all this stuff, and you know and you're but you're like look I did it like there's no there's no like wavering or you know but it was you know so and so's fault or you know and I I think that you know quite honestly if I'm being honest I think there's a lot of people out there especially people in the um in the upper sort of management supervisor roles that could take a page out of your playbook here and be a little more honest about what's going on in there. Because when we, when basically we were allowing the prisons to act like the streets, right? And people are wondering yeah. why people come out and go back to prison. Well, because it, it's, it's first of all, I mean, I, I was going to say outside of sex, you can get everything you want, but even that, depending on who you are, and if you put in the right situation with the right person, you can get the same things on the street that you can get in there. It just may be you may have to work a little bit harder and be a little more strategic. But, you know, I have a saying like, you know, I'm the type of person don't play. Don't bring checkers to my chessboard. You know, I'm very strategic in anything that I do. So if I can find somebody that's also strategic, that heightens it for me. Like that that excites me. So it was like every time I did something against the rule. I got an adrenaline rush because it's like, yeah, he's with it just as much as I am. I'm talking about like the lieutenant's office, the sergeant's office. Like it was just like, like nothing was off limits. And the particular Hispanic Lieutenant, that's why they mentioned. Maldonado. Maldonado. I've, I've mentioned, I, I'm not confined to that, Maldonado. Yeah, Maldonado. He knew, he knew exactly what was going on with me. He knew what mm-hmm. was going on. He chose to turn a blind eye because he was just as dirty as I was. The day that I bought my last package in, I was mistakenly put on the call out list. I didn't call out that day. I was strategically placed as a utility officer in the hallway, which mean I had free range from the beginning of the prison to the end of the prison on the old side. So all of this seemed like a coincidence at first, but when I sat back and saw how things started to play out, I was a pawn in the chess game because he put me where he needed me to be that day because he already knew what was going on. But then when it came down to it and it was time to answer questions, he lied. He lied and it was like, oh no, I didn't tell her she could go work in the um, auditorium that night. She didn't ask permission. She shouldn't have been there. Um, After I left, he was going around telling, telling, telling inmates how he caught me in the lieutenant's office having sex with an inmate which sounds crazy because as a white shirt if you walked in on me having sex with somebody why wasn't I fired because let's be clear I didn't get fired from Raiderford I resigned right right they didn't so you know like the the word on the block was that you had like five babies from this inmate oh god yeah you you already know that was the word on the block is that true no I was I, I didn't I didn't I did not give birth to any babies. Right. And um, you know, I just want I just want people to understand that 
you know, when we say that corruption and racism still exists and the Department of Correction, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about you have guards that look like me and you, they come in there and want to be Superman. They they take the job to the to the heart. They're willing to get discriminated. They're willing to get um, criticized just so they could move up and uh in the ranks. You didn't do that. You kept the one hundred with everybody, you know. And as a person that was there in that institution for thirty one years, there wasn't much that we didn't know about. But at the same time, it was like that's real one. You know, real respect, real, you know, congrats to whoever came up. That's the way we looked at it. Right. And um, but it's not like that all the time. Sometimes, you know, I have seen guards that come in there and just go crazy with power. Just to go crazy. And I'm talking about black guards and Hispanic guards. So my question to you is, do you believe that the Department of Correction service purpose when it promote that we about public safety absolutely not why not they're not about public safety for i mean just so many reasons like first of all the way the, the drugs and the cell phones that are coming in like come on now let's let's be honest the amount of drugs and the amount of cell phones and devices and everything there are illegally in these prisons they're not coming in through these visits I, COVID restrictions have been around for what, two years now? They just opened the visits back up. It's still drugs in the prison. It's still, so if they really wanted to crack down on it, they would crack down on it, but they're not going to because then when you start cracking down on the middleman and really digging into what is going, then the higher ups have to start answering because shit can only happen if it's allowed to happen. If they really wanted it to stop, it would, but then their pockets are going to get lighter. This former Philadelphia corrections officer is now facing gun trafficking charges in Montgomery County. Prosecutors say Amanda Barr bought guns and then sold them to people who aren't legally allowed to have weapons. Barr resigned after investigators questioned her last November. Oh, it's like the mafia out here. Everybody Basically, eats. It's yeah, like it's everybody like, eats. They don't care. You can, you can watch inmates overdose. They don't care. Like... You can OD and they can have 10 inmates die in three months span. And their mindset is we don't give a fuck about them because we got another 250 coming in on a bus in the next couple mm. days. So we're gonna hook them. Like a lot of a lot of people are strategically placed on certain blocks. Like it, it gets really deep. These guys come in, oh, you they see that you have a drug addiction background. Tell me why would you put an inmate that has a history? of cocaine or heroin use on D block where you know 90% of the drugs are coming in there. Make that make sense to me. If you're really trying to rehabilitate, why would you dangle it in front of them? The, the COs don't come up with the assignments. This comes from the higher ups. Kevin, I mean, jump in, Kevin. It's a mess. It's a mess. I mean, it's a mess, you know, and the, the system is ex basically exposed it's it's set up to allow this kind of behavior because people get people make money off of it it's not just you know co's entry-level co's you know this this goes up the chain we know it and the corruption goes way beyond the fact that there's illegal activity in the prisons you know they're making deals and contracts that are no bid contracts with these companies probably getting kickbacks from all that as well this is not just doesn't end at just the the sort of street level activity that's going right. on in the prisons 
and it's but, just but, you know no, okay, okay. I, I was really saying you know like today you know we could point our finger to rashida but it's deeper than that because as when i when i was in gratitude there's been guards that have been caught stealing food yeah from the jail to take home you know they stopped on families from sending money and money orders to the prison because guards was opening the letters in the mail room and taking the money orders and, and, and the money, you know. So it, it's deeper than just Rashida. We could point, we could just point our finger and say, oh, well, she got caught. Yeah, she got caught. She's the one that got caught. But how about the hundreds and hundreds of guards, right? And I'm talking about in one institution. I'm not talking about all 29 institutions. Be mindful, I spent 31 years in one institution. So I seen hundreds of guards come and go, being walked out for cerebral violation, right? So today we just hear from Rashida and the reason we wanted you on the show is, is because we think that when we say it, the people will say, well, he's mad because he was a, a, a inmate there and they made, no, no, I'm not mad because I wouldn't want to do time nowhere else but gratis for. Because like Miss Rashida said, I I had everything I wanted in Gratisville and everything I needed. The only thing I ain't had was the key to the front door. But if you name it, I had it. Liquor, drugs, sex, so, ice cream, plenty of ice cream. Like, well, let me just it. say this, guys. Um, in no way, shape, form, or fashion do I tell my story to gloat or brag about it. I want to make people aware and if telling my story and standing on what I did brings mm -hmm. awareness to what's going on, I'm okay with that because I'm now exactly on the opposite side yep. of what I used to do. I work in restorative justice now. I run yep. an entire re-entry program. And the reason that I can do the job that I do now is because I know the bullshit that goes on in there. So I know what the people need out here. So, so I see you tomorrow. And I just want the audience to know, y'all listening to Death by Incarceration and news alert you know for the audience that's out there listening and i know there's a lot of people that want to hear more about miss rashida miss rashida bagwell will be conducting a series of episodes with us on death by incarceration called correctional confidential so be ready for that she's bringing the real she's keeping it 100 and if you ain't standing by what you do then you faking the funk and you're listening to Death by Incarceration, season two with your host, Suave Gonzalez, Kevin McCracken, and our new producer, host of Correctional Confidential, Rashida Bagwell. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Please support us on Patreon at Death by Incarceration Podcast. Hit that follow button on all platforms. Share with a friend or 10. Follow us on social media at Death by Incarceration on Instagram, at DB Incarceration on Twitter, at DBI underscore podcast on TikTok. For all booking and media requests, please email Kevin at Death by Incarceration Podcast.com. Death by Incarceration is a production of DBI Media LLC, produced and written by Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken, editing by Jason Usry. Thanks to Crawlspace Media and Glassbox Media for being our partners. Please listen to our other shows, Injustice with Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels, and watch for our upcoming special on the Camp Hill Riot of 1989. Special thanks to Checker for all their support of the show and to Kevin and Suave individually. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, everyone. And please, if you can, take action.
This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.